Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Dial, a podcast on the WWWs. It was great to have your company. We are the defenders of government schools. We need to defend government schools because they are being attacked. Um, normally, we detail the you know, news, reviews and interviews from around Australia and the world in terms of how public education is surviving um, around the world and indeed in Australia. But today, we've got a, a, few, a few issues which... Oh, I suppose I don't step outside of our normal boundaries, but normally we look at the um, institutions and organisations that attack public education. In Australia, there are two specific et- groups of people that attack public education. One is those people who wish to profit from it, that is, um, the various corporations and individuals who wish to profit by running education systems using taxpayers' money. So the taxpayers' money goes to them, they deliver the education, they make a profit, and the devil takes the highmost when it comes to what they deliver. In Australia, in a very particular way, almost unique around the world, um, public education is being attacked by various religious organisations um, because in Australia, for some strange quirk of history, um, a large proportion of children um, are educated in a way that is funded by the taxpayers but is administered and run by religious organisations. Um, Functionally, Australia is not a secular state. A very large proportion of our children um, attract government funding. That's my money, your money. Um, and, then is, and, and then are educated in institutions run by various bishops and other church organisations. But today we're going to be talking about a, a third group of people who um, are now, in a sort of very open way, attacking public education. They're attacking it um, by commission and omission. In terms of omission, they're attacking it by not giving it the money it needs. And when I say it, I mean us. <laughs> Public education is the only education system that is for all people, is offensive to none, is universal in purpose um, and outcome, and, of course, is, is, is secular. It, it, it's offensive to no one in, either, in any terms, and particularly those of religious terms. Um, public education is designed specifically, and it was in Australia back in the 19th century, specifically to be offensive to no one's beliefs. It's about three R's and, and very little else. Um, oh, other things, of course, but nothing that's offensive. Um, the organisation or the group of people that are attacking public education at the moment are, in fact, our politicians um, in various degrees, and the ones in power in Canberra at the moment are doing a bang-up job of making sure that public education does not get its money. Um, and I'm going to pass you over to Jean because we're going to be focusing on this today in, in today's program because there is eventually an election coming up. Um, I was talking to this with a couple of colleagues and indeed Jean before. Um, 
in America, everyone's jumping up and down about a government shutdown. But here in Australia, we already have a government shutdown. It's just that no one's told us. Um, the government's not meeting to pass any legislation in the next five, five months or so before the election. There, there is no effective government. There's no legislation you know, on, on table to be passed in, in ten anything. Days. Ten days? I think there's ten days of parliament between now and May. Um, so if you were someone who did not have Australia's interests at heart and you wanted to disrupt our government um, and disrupt our polity, um, whoever you are who does not have your interests, you're, you're doing a very good job. <laughs> Because at the moment we don't really have a government that's working at the moment. But in particular what they have done and what they are in the process of doing is far more problematic because they are systematically defunding the public education system of Australia. And Jean will fill you in on the details. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Robert. Um, Here is our press release, 781. Election year, public school vote as it goes against Morrison. 2019, surprise, surprise, is election year, and it could be sooner rather than later. There's buses running all over the place, but we'll be talking about the important bus a bit later. Public school supporters have absolutely no reason to support a coalition government in the upcoming federal election. And who can trust the Labor Party in Shorten? Now, public school funding is a key consideration for parents and their voting intentions, according to the AEU President, Karina Haythorpe. More than 8 in 10 respondents to a recent poll which the AEU ran said that education will be important in deciding who they will vote for at the upcoming election. But I don't think Mr Morrison has heard this even though, surprisingly, he actually went to a state high school, Sydney Boys High, but that was a long, long time ago. Not only have public schools been defrauded by billions under the new funding arrangements, but a new report from the Productivity Commission shows entrenched inequality in public as opposed to private school funding. The numbers are on the board for Mr Morrison. And whereas some in the past it was very difficult to get these mon- numbers out into the public, the dogs used to have, put, have to put full-page advertisements in the paper, they're actually now there for all to see, thanks to the Save Our Schools uh, think tank and the Australian Education Union. Now, this public schools defrauded by billions. Robert will be telling you a lot more about that very shortly. But according to Trevor Cobalt of Save Our Schools, in his new education research brief, which he published just this week, the 6th of February 2009, the public schools in Australia are being defrauded by billions under the school funding agreements which were finalised at the end of last year. Now, those agreements, and you would have seen references to them in the paper, were between the Commonwealth and the various state governments. And Mr Andrews refused to sign, and the New South Wales, uh, Mr Stokes, the Minister for Education up there, had very grave reservations also. So, um, in Victoria anyway, it's only a six-month agreement. And Robert will be telling you why they were defrauded. As well as that, Morrison has entrenched inequality between the public and the private sector. 
in spite of the fact that the actual enrolments in the public school sector have been rising and they have been coming out of the private sector. According to the latest Productivity Commission's report into government services, which is called ROGS, R-O-G-S, growth in per-student government funding for private schools last year was ten times greater than that for public schools. That's not good enough. And ROGS shows that the gap in funding growth between the public and the private schools is rapidly accelerating under the Morrison government and Robert will be telling you the details about that a bit later. So what can be done? There's the feeling in the electorate that there's going to be an early election, particularly if the crossbench in Canberra don't play ball with Mr Morrison. They've said that they won't block supply, but there are other pieces of legislation that are waiting in the wings. So the public school interest groups are going into election mode at the same time as Mr Morrison and Mr Shorten are getting on buses and going to Queensland and elsewhere. But it's not just in Queensland that they should be looking at votes, they should be looking elsewhere. Uh, On February the 5th, the Australian Education Union deployed a fleet of green vans, 10 of them at least, to go to schools around the country where campaign teams are approaching the parents to talk about school funding matters. Now, they're particularly targeting parents in an intensive attack on coalition school funding policy in the swinging electorates, the marginal electorates. So the public school vote is uh, up and about and will count in this election. The fleet of the Fair Funding Now vans will reach out to local communities and drive home the importance of fairly funding public schools to make this election the education election. And they're not just going to schools, they're going out publicly. Uh, Thank you, uh, Neil, for sending me that lovely picture of one of these vans outside the State Library this week. Now, Haythorpe has said that the Coalition's school funding policy is a deliberate attack on public schools. And when, when uh, Robert has told you that it is an attack on public schools, it's not just the dog saying this. But um, unfortunately, the AEU believe that somehow the Labor Party is going to save public schools. And they argue that Labor's federal election commitment to invest $14.1 in our public schools will repair much of the damage wreaked by the Morrison government to public school funding. But uh, that's not actually quite good enough. Uh, Bill Shorten is offering $3.3 billion commitment for public school funding in the first three years. And that is a welcome game changer for public schools, but he's not offering to do anything about the inequitable funding for private schools. And dogs note that Labor's promises look better than Morrison's preferential treatment of the private sector, but Shorten and his uh, shadow minister Plibersek will pay off the private Catholic sector well before they give crumbs to our public schools. But these days, in Australian politics, voters have woken up that the two-party stranglehold has frayed. In fact, it's a breaking point. 
So dogs are asking, what do the Greens and Independents have to offer? And perhaps public school supporters should be asking them. And then, of course, there's the Reason Party and various other groups as well. So that's enough uh, of that for the moment. But just a little bit of scuttlebutt before I hand over to Dale, who's got some scuttlebutt from Queensland. I found this very interesting piece of scuttlebutt in, of all things, the Australian Business Review. This is the Murdoch paper. It's the last place I expect to find it. And there is a margin call by Will Glasgow and Christine Lacey uh, on, I think it's page 17 to 18. And this was uh, on Thursday, January the 31st, 2019. And it's headed, Collins feels the timely hand of God. They write, it seems even the Catholic Church is preparing for the election of Bill Shorten's Australian Labor Party. Uh, listeners, if Shorten wins, watch the Catholic Church try to take uh, the kudos for it. But I suggest that it won't be their kudos at all. It will in fact be more the public school vote. But a fortnight ago, days before Kelly O'Dwyer kicked off a series of Morrison ministerial departures, the Victorian Senator Jacinta Collins called time on her career in the Red House. The departing 56-year-old social worker turned union official has had a fair stab at parliamentary life. She assumed office in 1995 back when Paul Keating was Prime Minister and Liam and Noel Gallagher were saving rock and roll. The Labor rights Senator's 24-year run came with the blessing of her former employer, the SDA, that was the Shoppies Union. Collins' former staffer turned Shoppies official, Rafe Shiakone, has been flagged as her replacement. In the twilight of her political career, Collins has been a strong defender of religious schools. Now, this is a Labor Party senator, so I suppose you can understand why Shorten, I'm sorry, why uh, Murdoch uh, Press is having a go. In October, Jacinta told the Senate to respect the right of religious schools to be run in accordance with their beliefs. And Collins was also a resolute advocate of the deal that pumped $4.6 billion more funding into the Catholic school sector, one of Scott Morrison's first acts as Prime Minister. And Green Senator Sarah Hanson-Young accused her of running a protection rat- racket for the Catholic sector. Interesting. It looks like their sparring will continue in Collins' life after politics. Margin Call has learned that Collins will be the next executive director of the National Catholic Education Commission. So, dear listeners, this is a current Labor Party senator for Victoria who is leaving Parliament with the offer of a job. She's made lots and lots of contacts in Parliament, of course, 
and she will be the next Executive Director of the National Catholic Education Commission. Isn't it interesting how the old boy networks work? But at least the Murdoch Press has told us some of the scuttlebutt. Now then we're told that the God-fearing advocacy group was instrumental in securing the improved funding deal from Morrison and his education minister, Dan Tehan. Uh, that's the extra $4.1 billion that we've heard about recently and which, which, which Robert will be talking about. Shorten, who's an alumnus of the prestigious Melbourne Catholic School, Xavier College, as was the deal-cutting Tehan, championed the Catholic school funding cause throughout the Turnbull era. This was when there was a questioning going on under Turnbull, but there hasn't been any questioning under Morrison. The appointment of Collins, who will replace Acting Executive Director Ray Collins, should keep the relationship on tack. And then there's another heading, Church Elder Moves On. It's been an eventful summer in the world of Catholic education. I'm sorry, that's the noise of me turning over the newspaper. A week before Christmas, Victorian Liberal State MP Stephen Elder parted ways with the Catholic Education Commission here in Victoria where he'd been serving as its Victorian Executive Director. And the dogs have referred to Mr Elder on many occasions. After 13 years in the gig, Elder left amid an investigation by Corda Mentha into a workplace complaint. Following a period of rest and renewal, we gather that Elder will soon rise again because word is he will shortly be appointed an adjunct professor at his buddy Greg Craven's Australian Catholic University. The honorary gig won't pay the bills, but at the titles, a start. And so uh, that's just very interesting tidbit. Scuttlebutt. Dow's got some more, but after the break. Are you passionate about films, interested in cultural diversity, or wanting to get exposure for your own film? The Indonesian Film Festival is just around the corner, with our main events running from March the 23rd to April the 10th. There'll be free film screenings, panel discussions, and for filmmakers, there's the short film competition. This year's theme is the unknown and film submissions close on the 3rd of March. What are you waiting for? Go and check it out. The Indonesian Film Festival, iffaustralia.com, a 3CR supporter. Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse and dynamic radio station. Nominations are due by Friday the 1st of March at 5pm. For more information, contact 3CR Station Manager on 9419 
8377 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au forward slash people. Well, welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on the uh, dial, AM dial. And we've got Dale here from Queensland. Now, she (laughs) insists that she's been 20 years in Melbourne. Well, I thought it was appropriate that she told us the scuttlebutt from up there in Queensland. (laughs) Thanks, Jean. Yeah, I haven't been a Queenslander for over 25 years. I've only been in Melbourne for about 15 years, though. But anyway, um, this is uh, an article from the Australian Financial Review on Monday entitled Anger Over Queensland Private Schools Governance. Parents and ex-students from four Queensland private schools said the owner and operator of their schools lack transparency, is making decisions contrary to their wishes and is operating under an outdated legal structure that goes back to 1861. Their claims have been backed up by the governance expert who said many private school councils are asleep at the wheel and out of touch with the transparency reforms sweeping public life and companies. The parents from Brisbane Boys College, Clayfield College, Somerville House and Sunshine Coast Grammar School applied to the Queensland Attorney-General to have the Presbyterian and Methodist Schools Association give up its incorporation under letters patent. They want it reincorporated under the Corporations Act to force it into greater accountability. The tipping point came when the principal at one of the schools stood aside after a series of controversial staff sackings and hirings. The crisis began when the bursar at one school had allegedly held a business meeting at a Korean bathhouse. It was later revealed the ex-bursar had hung on to hard drives with the personal details of donors to Somerville House. The parents claim when they asked the PMSA to confirm that the hard, hard drives had been destroyed, the PMA, PMSA refused to do so. The parents said they were also unhappy about a report commissioned by the PMSA from Deloitte which recommends the schools be integrated into one but which had not discussed with parents' representatives. President of the parents' group, Chris Humphrey, said the PMSA had resisted calls for it to for it to reform and be more accountable. The parents were not happy with the structure under which each school had its own council, but these were overruled by the PMSA. He said it took the autonomy and responsibility away from individual schools and their principals. He said disgruntled parents had formed their own group called Beyond PMSA, which had more than 4,600 followers on Facebook and which had held the public forums on accountability. School governance expert, council member of Monash University and former director of Shell, John Simpson, said religious schools were not keeping pace with developments in society. Parents of students should be free to be informed about matters they wish to be informed about, not those matters the institution wishes to foist on them. There are seismic changes happening in institutional governance and the the boards of banks, universities, utilities and government departments are all going through massive change in expectation from those who engage with them. 
Mr. Simpson was appointed an advisor to Trinity College in Melbourne after it was caught up in a controversy over a boy's haircut that led to a principal standing down. Most school councils are incorporated under the Corporations Act and ultimately come under the supervision of the Australian Securities and Investment Commission. But Mr. Simpson said there were a few genuine that there were few genuine options for parents who were unhappy with the way the council was operating. They can seek a meeting with a principal or with the chair of the council, but otherwise there's no recourse for them. It's a dead end. The response they get is usually, if you're not happy, take your son or daughter elsewhere. When there's a crisis or if a parent or if parents are really disgruntled, they go to the media. I know a number of schools where parents were paying up to $72,000 a year. That includes boarding fees. It's a pretty elite game. But schools fail to understand the financial commitments parents are making. It ends up with a faux acceptance by parents that everything is fine and they are not at liberty to, dis- to ask questions about the school's direction and what's happening to their money. The chief executive of PMSA Sharon Callister told the Australian Financial Review the letters patent status did not restrict transparency or accountability. Organisations can be fully transparent and operate under a modern governance structure by remaining incorporated under letters patent. The PMSA financial statements are prepared according to Australian accounting standards and comply with the Association Incorporations Act, the Australian Education Act of 2013 and the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission Act. The PMSA takes all concerns expressed by our community seriously and we have responded by taking significant steps to modernise our governance structure, increase accountability and promote transparency. The Queensland Attorney-General referred the parents' issue to the Office of Fair Trading, which is investigating the complaint. Well, that's all very interesting, isn't it? When people pay money for something like education, they expect uh, results of some sort, but um, they at least expect to be treated uh, humanely, uh, as if perhaps they matter. But uh, that's the price you pay to be... Uh, part of a private networking education system. Obviously what's happening is that uh, a system can deal with the government better and get more money into the system and they're they're trying to systematise and the parents want this wonderful thing called autonomy. All very interesting. Thank you, Dale. We'll have another break and then Robert will uh, give you lots and lots of good information We've finished with the scuttlebutt.
Oh, welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the www through the website 3cr.org.au. Um, look, it's great to have your company, as always, and thanks very much to Jean and Dale for their scuttlebutt. But um, what Jean was mentioning at the beginning was something, to my mind, it's it's beginning of a new phase. It's the beginning of a new phase in how Australians are to be educated, and it can go one of two ways. Um, Trevor Cobold um, at the Save Our Schools organisation and their website, which I seriously do recommend, uh, that's Save Our Schools Australia, uh, that's, that's Save Our Schools, all one word, .com.au, um, has come out with one of, I think, one of the most important landmark reports. Um, he's an ex-productivity commissioner, so when he quotes stuff, he does it from a very particular perspective, and the particular perspective is one of veracity. The guy knows what he's talking about. Um, his position is not that of the dogs. He thinks that the funding system in Australia is fundamentally unfair and is getting worse. Um, and his views, um, I don't like to paraphrase him, I'd, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't like to be paraphrased, but I'd say his views are becoming much closer to ours, and our views are very simple, that no public money should be gone, going to any private institution for the education of children in Australia. The job of educating the children of Australia, and indeed in universities, the adults of Australia as well, is far too an important job to put out to the free market or to put in the hands of various religious people. Um, they have no business, um, and it is their business, but they have no business doing that. That is for the people. And if the state school system stuffs up, it's for the people of Australia to fix it up. And if the politicians won't do it, then they should be kicked out. That's how, functionally, democracy is supposed to work. At the moment, that's not the case, because um, a vast proportion of the education of people in Australia has been outsourced. It's been privatised. And in Australia, I say, in particular, it's been outsourced to religious organisations for uh, because of an accident of history. Um, now, history is an important thing, of course. Jane will tell you that. Uh, she's often talking about what has gone before, and it's important to know that. But what's happening now is something quite different. And Trevor Cobble is quite right to point out that public schools in Australia at the moment are currently being defrauded. Um, these are words that he uses not lightly. I'm quoting now from a, a press release that he's come up with at saveourschools.com.au entitled Public Schools Are Defrauded by not a few dollars, by billions of dollars under the new funding agreements arranged by the current, and I use this word very loosely, by the current government. Um, as I mentioned before, they're not doing much governing at the moment. But he mentions that public schools are being defrauded by billions under a school funding agreements that they have now finalised at the end of 2018 between the Commonwealth and the states. Public schools in all states, except for the ACT, will be underfunded on purpose, indefinitely. Well, I'm, I'm just going to say that again. Public schools, in an arrangement set out by the Commonwealth Government between the states, all of the governments today have, have come to an agreement that means that public schools will be underfunded, on purpose, indefinitely. And I think this is at the same time, Robert, as the middle classes have woken up that private education is defrauding them of a great deal of money and they are enrolling their children in the public sector. Mm. The actual uh, flight to the private schools has turned around in the last three years. Indeed. Um, now, in all states, there is one exception, that's the Northern Territory, but we might come back to that. Now, public schools will be defrauded between 
last year and 2027, so it's around about 10 years, will actually be underfunded and defrauded by around about, and I get this figure over 10 years, $60 billion. That's zero 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 with a six in front of it, billion dollars. Uh, with an average of $6 billion a year underfunding. So it's about $6 billion a year over 10 years. They will be underfunded on purpose by the current, inverted commas, government that we have. The funding loss is due to two features, two particular features of this agreement which the governments have agreed to. First, public schools in all states except the ACT will only ever be funded 95% of, of, of what it is that they deserve at best, and much more likely, much less, because the states have only committed to funding them at 75% of what they deserve. So what happens in Australia is that the federal and the state governments come together to work out how much a school needs, and then between the two of them they divide up who's going to pay what percentage. So if 100% is what a school needs, then these two numbers, both federal and state, added together, never add up to more than 95 and sometimes much, much less. Now, the extent of underfunding at present is extensive in several states. In particular, um, Victoria, Queensland and New South Wales. Now, the second thing, apart from the fact that the governments of Australia had just agreed to do this, they just agreed to underfund them on purpose. Second, the states can claim expenditure not included in the SRS measure as part of their target, up to 4% of their SRS. Now, this means this represents a loss of funding required to meet the state targets. What this means is if the state governments put money into schools but doesn't go to the schools, so it might go somewhere else, it might go to some other related educational activity, that counts from their point of view. If it it never goes through the school gate, if it never goes to the kids, the state government doesn't care about that. Now, this, the additional expenditure allowed to be counted towards the state government, this is this money that never gets through the door, um, is things like de- depreciation costs, things like public transport costs, things like money that goes to regulatory authorities, and also, and this is interesting, money that goes to preschool and early childhood, anything the state puts into that is then taken out of the high school's budget. So if the state governments put money into preschool and early childhood education, which is absolutely needed... And which they're doing. Which they're doing. Um, that money then goes away from the high school down the road. Now, these expenditures items are explicitly excluded from the nationally agreed... Uh, from, from, from this particular agreement. Now, in contrast... OK, in contrast to the indefinite underfunding of public schools, the government's funding of private schools as part of this agreement between the Commonwealth Government and the states, is a guaranteed 100% of the funding. Or more. Or more. They should be taken over. Guaranteed until 2023. They should be nationalised. Now, at the moment, they're already funded. Currently, they are already funded at 100%. Now, 100% of what's they're allocated, as far as I'm concerned, they should get no money, so they should get 100% of nothing. But certainly, they're not getting nothing at the moment. If we pay 100%, Robert, if it's now up to 100%, then they should become public schools. They should be taken over. We don't need them. Now, the Commonwealth Government historically funds state schools at around about the level between 20 and 25% of the cost it takes, you know, of, of, of the amount of money it takes to educate a child. The Commonwealth Government will fund all private schools to 
of what's required. And it's expected the states will fund the extra 20%. So in this agreement, and this is the fascinating thing, in this agreement that is currently in force between the Commonwealth Government and the states, private schools get to the feast first. They get everything they need. In fact, more. If they want to take some, you know, if they want to grab a couple of bottles of wine and take it home because that's just what they feel like at this feast of money the Commonwealth and state governments are putting on, they can do what they like. Now, when they've finished, when the private schools have finished taking all the money that they need and more, if that's what they feel like, then, and only then, are the public schools let through the door. And say, so, there you go, look at all the food that's left. Isn't that nice? Don't you, isn't it wonderful that you, the, that the, the public school people, get to have the scraps from the table after the private schools are feasted? That's functionally what's happening. I know it's a tortured metaphor, but I think that's exactly what's going on. And the question is, why? I find it extraordinarily stupid of Mr Morrison and Mr Mr Tian to tell public school supporters that they are rubbish, that they are only fit for the rubbish. I find that very politically naive and stupid. Now, when it comes to the overfunding of private schools, they ask, the private schools, by the way, get an extra $40 million in special assistance. This special assistance is to adjust to get this the lower levels of funding that they might be getting after 2023. But you know what? They won't be getting any levels of underfunding, and so therefore they're getting $40 million to adjust to something that won't happen. But they'll get that before the state school people get in, get in the door. It's absolutely mind-boggling. Now, if you were talking about this in... Uh, what was it, what was it that... Um, what was it that, that that Prime Minister said in, in some banana republic? Oh, Mr Keating said that we yeah. some banana, banana republic. Yeah. If you're talking about this in terms of systemic corruption in some third world country, you would condemn it. But here in Australia, it's just happened. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Well, we've just had a royal commission or into the banks. Perhaps it's time we had a commission, royal commission, looking into uh, public funding of uh, private schools. Public funding of private schools run by religious institutions, which have just recently been hauled over the coal by another royal commission in terms of childhood sexual abuse. Now, moving on, this is all happening at the same time that the People of Australia are taking their children out of private schools mm. and putting them back into public schools because the numbers aren't adding up. Because even while the federal and state governments are giving more and more money to private schools, private schools are also upping their fees. In Melbourne, for instance, in 2019, more than one private school now have annual fees to send one child to their school of over $40,000. Now, these schools who are charging parents over $40,000 are also getting millions of dollars from the taxpayer at the same time. It is, it's beyond unconscious. It just doesn't make any sense. And the only defence I can see or hear from anyone talking about this is, yeah, whatever, what are you going to do about it, which is what I often hear um, private school lobbyists say. And the other one is, well, that's just the politics of envy. Mm-hmm. No, it's the politics of highlighting stupidity, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned here at the Dogs Program. Oh, no, no, now these people are saying that their schools are inclusive. They're just marketing um, with words, Robert. Well, yes. 
Um, they, are all, they have been always dissemblers. Ray Nielsen called them great dissemblers, yeah, and that's yeah. what this is all about, dissembling. But not all of us are fools. Yes, and, but there's something else actually it, underlying all of this, which is you know, the fact that parents are taking their children out of private schools and putting them into public ones across Australia's, across Australia's educational landscape. I'll be highlighting exactly how they're doing that because that's not in itself just a good idea. But I'll be talking more of that after, after this. Transitions Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and changemakers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, food revolutions, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February the 21st to March the 8th at Cinema Nova. Tickets from transitionsfilmfestival.com. A 3CR supporter. for human rights, indigenous sovereignty and climate justice. Our destination is Manus Island. Join us for the Freedom Flotilla. Sailforjustice.org. Get on board. A 3CR supporter. Yes, welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 and on the AM dial. Now, as I mentioned before, just before the break... Uh, Australian parents are choosing, and this word choice will come back in what I'm talking about, are choosing to send their children to, pri- to public schools rather than private ones. But the schools they're sending them to are actually... There's a sad story within this as well because Australia at the moment are separating out. We as Australia are separating out our children. We're separating out our children on, along, along the lines of academic ability. And you go, well, okay. Now, smart, ki- smart kids hanging out with more smart kids doing smart kid stuff and you know, not so smart kids hanging out with other not so smart kids doing not so smart kid stuff. You know, that's kind of all right in a school. But, and this is the big but, in Australia, whether you're smart or not has almost nothing to do with how well you do in school. I, mean, I know it's a strange thing. In comparison to a much greater effect in Australia, the one thing that matters more than how smart you are in school, the one thing that matters much more in Australia than how smart you are, is how much money your parents earn. That is the fact in the Australian educational landscape, and that fact is getting more and more pronounced. Now, in an article um, in John Manadu's Pearls and Irritations written by Chris Bonner, and he's been quoted across both the Fairfax and the Murdoch Press um, in his findings, um, What's happening in Australia across all sectors, both private and public, is that there is an unequal competition. Some schools, public and private, set entry tests, and of course private schools charge fees, while other schools must take all comers. Families can view a school that takes all comers with suspicion. That is to say, families can view state schools with suspicion because they take all comers. Now I'll be talking a bit later on about a brilliant school that takes all comers in our great state school. But just think about that for the moment. If choice is the driver, if choice is the engine that means that we move forward with choices, choice as defining, as the defining quality education system, then we end up with a system where we segregate our children. Now, new research shows, according to Chris Bonner, that high achievers, 
go to school. And let's start, he says, um, when talking about these these high achievers going to school in the city and these high achievers going to school in the bush. In New South Wales, the numbers of distinguished achievers in the HFC is incredibly considerably increased as a proportion in urban schools over the last decade. But it's actually remained the same and hasn't gone anywhere in rural and regional areas. In Victoria, the average VCE score in regional areas has been in decline for years. In Queensland, the major cities are increasing winners when it comes to high-achieving results when it comes to children in cities only. Now, rural-urban migration explains some of this, but the distribution of students isn't changing that much. The bigger change is the schools losing out have an increasing proportion of the most disadvantaged students. These schools haven't changed, whereas those schools which are going and able to use the weapon of choice, the educational weapon of choice, are improving. The second part of the story is that high-achieving students increasingly attend only schools with other high SES students. So high-achieving students are only going to students with rich kids, and rich kids are only going to schools with high-achieving students. Those schools that are ranked higher in terms of socioeconomic status, that is to say, regardless regardless of location and regardless of sector. So this is nothing to do with private schools and public schools. This has got nothing to do with, with whether you're in, in the regions or whether you're in the city. This is just has to do with what I said before, the most significant factor when it comes to educational success is how much money your parents earn. Now, this is much worse than it was three decades ago, worse than it was a decade ago. We're becoming a class-stratified society. We are building ourselves into... It's called class, C-A-S-T, unfortunately. Now, in response to this, um, John Thomas, um, in, in, in response to this article, John Thomas writes, and it's a very interesting comment he makes, he says, there is no point, he says, blaming wealthy parents. And I have, I, I have some sympathy. You can't blame someone for being wealthy. He says, this is not the politics of envy. And the so-called not-so-wealthy parents, because they're making a rational decision not to send their children to residualised public schools, he says. The real culprit, of course, is John Howard who decided to engage in extreme class warfare by overfunding independent and faith-based schools at the expense of state schools. He was the, he was the generative force in what has now come to pass. There is a chance, he says, it could have been reversed to some extent by Gonski 1.0 funding model, but then it was scuttled immediately by Julia Gillard out of political cowardice. I agree. And the funding rules continued under successive coalition governments. Well, we've, we've outlined exactly what's going on at the moment. Needs policies have never worked they very quickly become greed's policies because our politicians haven't got the intestinal fortitude mm. to deal with the private sector, most particularly the Catholic education officers. Mm. Well, Chris Bonner finishes up, he says, this is not, he says, about blaming parents. It's just how the system works. But the system is not working for everybody. It is failing to improve overall student achievement. It's failing to lift everyone's results. Instead, we are seeing growing clusters of high-achieving students attending advantaged schools and the opposite trend in poorer schools. And we've been highlighting this for a couple of months now in terms of people wanting to send their child to a inverted commas, good state school and quite happy for the kids in the school down the road who go to the school that they do not consider to be good um, to rot in hell. They don't care about that. That's not my job. I'm a parent. This is my child. So I think it's right to say we cannot blame the, char- the parents for making these decisions. They exist in this educational environment, which is defined 
by how our schools are funded. And we here fight for the right to, the right, the simple unalienable right, it's not a privilege, for every child in Australia to have the opportunity for a gold standard education in a first world country like Australia. It's just that simple. But I'm going to tell you about a great state school. In fact, I'm going to tell you about the biggest state school in Victoria. It is massive and they're doing a wonderful job and you'll never guess where it is. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State schools. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Ah, great state schools. I'm going to tell you about the biggest high school in Victoria. It's out at Lilydale, and it's called the, da, 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 the Lilydale High School. <laughs> it's high school in Lilydale. It's got almost 2,000 kids. Now, there are bigger schools. Um, there are bigger schools in Victoria. One of them is a private school. It's called Haleybury College. And when I say biggest school, it's, it's got campuses all over the place. It's got one in town. It's got one out at Myrna. It's got one in, up, up in the eastern suburbs. It's got one in Beijing. It's got one in Singapore. It's got campuses everywhere. But this is a single campus school, 2,000 kids. It's co-ed, of course it is, located in the city of Lilydale, the outer eastern fringe of Melbourne. If you don't know where Lilydale is, um, just you know, head out Whitehorse Road and keep going. You, you, you'll get there. It's got a long tradition of academic excellence, which I think is being maintained by the current, kid, current teachers and students and administration staff out there. It has an outstanding re- re- reputation and it ain't getting any smaller because even though they've got 2,000 kids running around screaming at lunchtime, what they talk about is personal development mm. and future success, individual personal development and happiness for the kids. The students enjoy... enjoy State-of-the-art facilities, which, of course, you know, for, the, for those people out there, though, I'm sure they appreciate them. There are 161 full-time teaching staff out there. That's a lot of kids. Now, what I find fascinating is that this school, even though it's massive, um, it's the, you know, the makeup of, of the parent community that send their kids there is really interesting. 30% of them come from the bottom quartile. 38% come from the second bottom quartile. About a quarter of the kids come from um, the upper middle quartile and about 8% come from stinking rich families. Well, the top quartile of people in Australia. Now, so most of the kids there are in the, in the poorest half of Australia, but its ICSIA value is around about the perfect mix for an average Australian school. Its ICSIA value is around about 1,000. And that's interesting because that gives you this is the typical school. Well, when I say typical, I'm pretty sure it's not because it's um, language background other than English is about 3% of the kids. So when I say typical, I'm talking about sort of typical 30 years ago. Like this is an Anglo school with, you know, obviously people from other cultures there, but not with languages they, like they speak at home. This is, this is an outer urban, massive school. There's around about, oh, about, about 10 kids from indigenous backgrounds out there as well. So it's genuinely comprehensive school. Yeah. It's what every school in Australia should ideally be, a comprehensive school. They reflect their local community. They work with and they work in a local community. Now, how are the kids doing? Well, their, their NAPLAN results are fine. Yep. 
But NAPLAN, as we know, is not the entire... Is, is not the entire, is a school any good or not? There's a lot more factors involved, and this school reflects and is in all sorts of ways the same as its local community, which is what only a state school can do. There is not a single private school in Australia that is its own community. There is not a single private school in Australia that reflects its community, unless that is a community of religious reclu- re- recluses <laughs> <laughs> who want to send all their children and make sure they stay, like, they stay away from... From, from the evils of the modern world. And believe me, there are some government-funded schools that do that. But they are a true reflection of a broad cross-section of people who live out at Lilydale. Now, I think the most fascinating thing about this school is that how much does it cost to get kids a good education in a massive school in a place like Lilydale in the outer east of Melbourne? Well, a big school like that, massive facilities, state-of-the-art, that must cost a lot of money because, you know, those private schools, they, they charge a lot of money for that. It costs the taxpayer to educate a high school kid at Lilydale. Now, just remember, it costs the taxpayer, on average, around about fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 a year to educate an average kid in Australia. And this school, I hate to use the word average, this school is the most reflective school of, of its community. It has an ICSIA value of 1000 The median ICSIA value is 1000 so it's right smack there. It costs about $14,000 to do it well, to do a good job. This school is demonstrably doing a good job, and they are spending $11,322 per kid. They are saving the taxpayer 4000 bucks a kid off the top. Now, you times 4000 by 2000 that's a lot of money saved. Here's a state school that's not just doing it well, but they're doing it effectively and they're doing it efficiently and because they're a state school they're doing it accountably every teacher in that school is accountable to the education department their principal and the community which they serve as opposed to private schools which have obviously very opaque accountability a state school if you're doing the right thing you're praised if you're doing the wrong thing you're caught out it's just that simple and i can tell you that's the way it works in a state school which is what's going on here so congratulations to all the kids, and all the teachers, and all the people, and all the parents out there at Lidar, because Lidar High School is not only the biggest, biggest state school in Victoria, it's one of the best. In fact, it's great. It's our great state school for the week. Well, thanks very much for listening, if you still are. It's always nice to end on a great note, and it's always nice to sort of go out to a place like Lilydale and finding out what they're doing out there. But you have been listening to the Dogs Program. We are the D-O-G-S, the Dogs. We are the Defenders of Government Schools. You can contact us and find out what we're talking about on our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But we have to come back next week because the fight's not over. Um, state schools aren't saved. We have to defend them next week as well. So between myself, Rob, and Jean, and Dale, it's until next week, and it's bye.
says Joe, but I ain't dead. Says Joe, but I ain't dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your Sir. Mm-hmm.